Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 81, Losing Weight. Today's proverb comes from La Rochefoucauld. I'll read it twice. It is easier to be wise for others than for ourselves. Once more, it is easier to be wise for others than for ourselves. It's easy to come up with a great plan for other people to follow. There's a stand-up comic I like, a fellow I could not possibly recommend to you, but between two specials that he did, between two stand-up specials he did, and the specials were maybe two years apart, he lost a lot of weight, maybe between 30 and 40 pounds. And when the second special begins, he comes out on stage, there's cheering, and he opens the show with this. As you can see, I've lost a lot of weight. Everyone cheers for this, as they do in a show. Cheer for lost weight, cheer for I got married, cheer for I had a kid. As you can see, I lost some weight. Everyone cheers. And then he says, you could lose some weight too. You're not going to, but you could. I find this a remarkable sentiment. You could lose some weight. You're not going to. And the reason you're not going to is it's hard. It's difficult. It's unpleasant. That's why you're not going to do it. You're not going to do anything unpleasant. And that's why you're not going to lose weight. Simple as that. Imagine for a moment 
that you were responsible for coming up with a weight loss plan for someone else and that they had to do whatever you laid out for them. They weren't going to try to do what you laid out for them. They made a vow and there were huge penalties for not doing whatever you told them to do to lose weight. If that was the circumstance, you would be free to come up with the most effective plan possible. Which means you could give them the oldest, most tried and true way of losing weight possible, diet and exercise. That's it, my friend, diet and exercise. You're going to eat less and you're going to take a long walk every day and you're going to lose weight. Losing weight is easy if we're thinking in terms of plans. The execution of the plans is more difficult because it's unpleasant. So it's easy to be wise for other people because you don't really care if their lives are pleasant. You are far better served if there are wise people out there living well than you are by there being happy people out there whose lives are pleasant. Which one of these is apt to do you more good? Do you wish that you were surrounded by a thousand people whose lives were intensely pleasant? Or do you wish you were surrounded by a thousand people whose lives were incredibly good? Well, good people are going to be a greater benefit to you. Which means that if it's your place to be wise for other people, you're free to get them to wisdom, to get them to effectiveness and productivity as quickly as possible. But when it comes to yourself, ooh, far more difficult. Because you want your life to be pleasant. And Pleasure and wisdom have a long and troubled relationship with one another. It may not be foolish, necessarily, to seek pleasure, but there is very little wisdom to be obtained in pleasure. Not no wisdom, but far less wisdom to be attained in pleasure than in temperance or suffering. And we know this. We know that suffering is a faster path to what we really want than pleasure. Because pleasure is not sustainable. The pursuit of pleasure isn't sustainable. Not compatible with our highest goals. So we seek pleasure and hope that things will turn out anyway. That's the real hope of mankind. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to hope things turn out well anyway. So we invent all these diets for ourselves that do not require any real renunciation of pleasure. And this is the, this is the fad diet on women's magazines at the check stand. Women's Day. You've seen these headlines. 
Eat pizza and lose weight. Eat ice cream and lose weight. Lose weight as if by magic. Do not suffer. Do not renounce anything. Just get everything that you want at the same time. There's an assignment I like to give my students to show them the troubled relationship between wisdom and pleasure. One of my favorite assignments to give. I don't know how many assignments I have in my repertoire that basically begin with the same premise. Let's say you have a classmate whose life is falling apart. I love this introduction. This is the introduction to like half the tests I give. Let's say you have a classmate whose life is falling apart. Sophomore year, nothing is coming together for this guy. He's still stuck back in freshman year. He's making all the same jokes that got him laughs, jokes about girls, jokes about the janitor's accent. But in sophomore year, no one is interested. Everyone else is on to the next thing, the adult thing, sort of. And this guy's grades are tanking. So he doesn't enjoy school. Because he doesn't enjoy school, he doesn't really pay attention. He's like kryptonite to girls. Girls run from him, which means that guys run from him too. Girls don't want anything to do with this guy. He still wants high fives when he fails a test. But... Everyone leaves him hanging because no one wants to lose the good faith of the teacher. Messes around in class. He's a slouch. He didn't get a job over the summer, so he never has any money. So he can't buy his own clothes. He dresses like a dork, like a bachelor, like a confirmed bachelor of 37, even though he's only 16. Anyway, this loser comes to you one day at lunch. And he admits, this year's really difficult for me. Things aren't going great. I feel like my life's falling apart. And instead of saying, no, things are actually okay for you, and lying to him, you go along with it. Yes, you're right. Your life is sort of falling apart. And then this fellow asks you, what should I do? Now the assignment which follows this, normally I require students to give advice to someone their own age whose life is falling apart, to give advice to this person out of a book that we've just read. Like, answer him from Paradise Lost. Assume that you've both just finished reading Paradise Lost. He's heard some lectures on Paradise Lost. And so you have to drum up this little like, sermon or homily for this kid drawn from Paradise Lost, from discussions of Paradise Lost, and use the book to help this kid get his life back together. It's a great assignment for a book like Paradise Lost, Divine Comedy, uh, even Burke's Reflections, almost any book. Help someone your own age sort their life out using this book as a common ground between you. 
What would you do if this kid put his life in your hands? What if this guy who's falling apart comes to you and says, look, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Your life's going well. I want my life to go well too. What would you tell him? I have not found students need a lot of help with this. They immediately jump into some good advice. I tell them, well, you should wake up earlier. That's how almost all of their answers begin. Well, you should wake up earlier. <laughs> and you should accomplish something before you get to school. You should read your Bible. You should go for a jog. You should help your mother do something. A lot of students tell this hypothetical loser, you should keep your mouth shut more. You should talk less. You talk too much. You say foolish things. You say offensive things. Talk less. Pay more attention in class. Sit in the front row. Sit in the front row and don't talk. Just listen. And the advice goes on from there. You need to be more physically active. You need to read more. No more video games. No more social media. And students will get fairly uh, draconian in their advice. Throw your cell phone away. It's not helping you. Make sure that all of your screen time is governed. Don't just while away the hours in your bedroom scrolling. I give good advice. And they're rather content with their advice as well. And when the students are done with this, when they're done talking it through, when they're done writing out their responses, and I ask them, how many of you, based on the fact that you've given such great advice, how many of you would be willing to turn your own life over to a classmate for your classmate to oversee. You've done well at this assignment. Your classmates have done well. Maybe you should turn your life over to them. Maybe you should agree to do whatever it is that your classmates tell you to do. Maybe they should design your schedule. And everyone is quite terrified by this idea. And what, the, what are they terrified of? Well, they've just proven to themselves that they're capable of coming up with a decent plan. So it's not as though they fear that their classmates are going to come up with something clownish or ridiculous for them to do. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of... Goodness, they're afraid that if they turn their lives over to their friends, their friends will, as they have done, not give any priority to pleasure at all. Just as they have given no priority to pleasure for this loser student whose life they're helping to rehabilitate. A similar sort of thought experiment you can do with Adults with yourself, parents should do. 
This is a great thought experiment for prospective parents. One night at dinner, there's a knock at the door. You answer the door and a woman hands you an infant, a newborn wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the woman has this fearful look on her face and tells you as you're standing there, cold wind blowing by, this child is fated to become the most powerful man in the world when he comes of age. Raise him right. And then the woman runs away and leaves you there holding this infant. Assuming that you believe her, assuming that this infant, this newborn, is going to grow up to become president of the United States, how would you raise the child? What would you do with a child who would become president that you wouldn't do with your own child? It's even more interesting to imagine that the child that you're handed is going to become the president or the king or the premier or the prime minister of your nation's enemies. That the child that you're holding is someday going to be the commander of an army of a nation you're at war with. What would you say to a child who is going to become the leader of your enemies and could make your life as difficult and painful as imaginable? What would you, what would you say to the child? What sort of lessons would you instill in a child that was bound for greatness? Would you allow a boy who would someday be the custodian of nuclear codes, would you allow this boy to have a TikTok account? Would you allow him to have a cell phone? A smartphone? Would you let him play violent fantasies? Video games. Would you let him fantasize about killing other people? <laughs> Imagine you're raising the leader of your enemies. Would you allow this child to fantasize about killing? <laughs> For many of these questions, if you're, imagine, uh, if you're imagining raising the leader of your enemies, all of a sudden you have something profound to gain by doing a good job. Now, this is true no matter what the child grows up to be. child grows up to be a plumber, a mailman. You still stand to gain quite a bit from raising the child as well as possible. And it's fair to assume and beneficial to assume that your children will someday grow up to be the most powerful men and women in the world if you assume that, if you pretend that, you will raise them in a way that's maybe more difficult on you. Because we all know that there's easier and harder ways to parent. There's ways of parenting that are more difficult now, but less difficult later, and vice versa. But if we started thinking about raising children as a sort of long game. 
then we had more to gain in raising them right. We would be wise for others and wise for ourselves. We know what an ideal life would look like. We can easily design an ideal life for others. And we can design, we can be wise for ourselves if we're willing to think of ourselves as others think of us. Which is to say, we have to make pleasure a far lower priority than it is. We have to become adept at rewarding ourselves a little more leniently and judging ourselves a little more harshly and disciplining ourselves and making as though someone else has designed the rules for our life. Because really, as Christians, we already believe this is true. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.